When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Maybe it's just that you don't know how to use social courtesy. Oh, that's old-fashioned. Watch how Lizzie Post and Dan Post act as host and hostess. They know that courtesy means showing respect, thinking of the other person, real friendliness. On this episode of Awesome Etiquette, we answer your questions on visitors to shared office spaces, what to do when your friend friends all your other friends, how to handle your bar tab at brunch, gifting food when everyone is restricted by everything, what to do when you realize five years later you missed a few thank you notes from your wedding. All that plus a postscript segment on politely talking politics. Coming up. Awesome Etiquette comes to you from the studios of Vermont Public Radio and is proud to be a part of the infinite guest network from American Public Media. I'm Lizzie Post. And I'm Dan Post-Senning from the Emily Post Institute. Am I going to regale you with song? Why? Oh, I had a birthday. Happy birthday (laughs) to you. Um, keep going. That's all right. I'm going to spare everyone out there. <laughs> really? I thought that sounded pretty nice. I was enjoying that. But truly, a, a very happy birthday, Cousin Thank Lizzie. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. It seems to be a season of birthdays, Well, I, perhaps. I got to say, I'm, um, you know, I was really hoping. We were that, close. That quite, maybe we were about like five, seven hours off, I think. She, she was born at six in the morning? Early in the morning on, I guess, Monday. Yeah, I think it yeah. was six in the morning on Monday, so, so we missed sharing a birthday by seven hours. The Awesome Etiquette family got just a little bit bigger this weekend. My brother had his second uh, little baby girl joined us in the Senning family. Dylan um, Annika. <clears throat> and we are we are so excited that she's here with us. And to any of her family members that might be listening to the podcast, uh, hearty congratulations. And it's about all I'm thinking about right now as we were sitting here getting these mics warmed up. My mind keeps she's wandering so off because... I, I haven't seen held her yet. I've been um, texting and talking and exchanging yeah, photographs, yeah. but today is the afternoon where I drive over and get to see her for the first time. That's so so exciting. That is very much where my head and my heart are right Aww. now. Yeah. It was one of those moments where you told me on Monday that it happened, but we hadn't gotten sort of the family notification email that that I think is mm-hmm. standard practice now. You either get a text message or an email or a phone call from people when you're close family and then the announcement goes out on Facebook so that you don't spoil the news for anybody. But you had shown me pictures of her, but I didn't want to yet congratulate Susan Will because You're I wanted so <laughs> I wanted to wait until they had reached shared out and news. shared the news with the family. I didn't want to be like, hey, I know this happened because I work with Dan and obviously he told me. <laughs> <laughs> no, it, it's it's definitely that like that. It's a delicate thing. It, it's yeah. nice for them, too. It's a little less fraught because it's number two. Yeah. But um, definitely at these big moments, there are all kinds of share the news etiquettes. There were sort of a series of fun ones. Um, of course, Sunday night was the big Patriots game. So my brother couldn't attend the usual gathering and we set up a nice tech circle. And the Should thought we just was, say we're glad she didn't come out named Gronkowski or something, you know? Like, <laughs> I tell you for boys, Brady's high on the list. Um, 
Anyway, back to the story. That's really funny. She waited. It was awesome. But um, the next day, I call and I'm talking to my brother and and Susan is still really tired and and isn't on the phone and doing the phone thing yet. And I said, well, be sure to to let us know. We can't wait to see her. We can't wait to meet her. Um, But the dance of we want to come, we want to rush at you and the baby, (laughs) but let us know when's the appropriate moment when everybody is settled enough to do that. Hurry up and get over needing your space because we want to meet her. And and so appreciated the the, the way that the invite came Came quickly and and was was so generous and so so inclusive. They're good about that. They really are. I mean, Susan especially is someone who's like, no, I want you to come and meet her. This is exciting for everybody. And that's such a generous thing when you're that exhausted after just having given birth. <laughs> exactly. Like, and yeah. and to, for it to be a personal call from her, not yeah. to be relayed. And the, the email that they sent out with the pictures, it was, oh, it was, it was so really cute. nice to, to watch them share the news and, and to do it well. To see little mm-hmm. Stella be a big, Stella Grace be a big sister now. Oh, my now. goodness. It, absolutely adorable. Anyway, so sweet. my grandfather would say grandchildren and pets are similar in that either you have your own or you're not interested. So I will... <laughs> Stop telling everyone about the, the new baby. It was a big moment in our family on Monday, so it was exciting. It sure was, so thanks for sharing. Shall we get to some of our listener questions? <laughs> we shall. Give me a ride. There's so much to learn how to do. Sure, there's a lot to learn, but it's worth it. And learning is easy. One way is by watching others. On each and every episode of Awesome Etiquette, we take your questions on how to behave. I like this question because it, it deals with something I think a lot of people in the in the work world deal with, but it's about do you ignore a conversation going on right next to you or can you interject? Can you engage in that conversation if, if you weren't in it? And I love that idea. Yeah. Dear Lizzie and Dan, I work in a small office with one other woman. She is friends with a couple of other coworkers who work in other offices in the same building. Occasionally, these friends will stop by the office to chat with her. Just to be clear, I'm not unfriendly with these coworkers, but I just don't go out socially with them. I'm uncomfortable when her friends chat because while I acknowledge their presence, I get involved with my work specifically so I don't unintentionally eavesdrop on their conversation and be tempted to interject. Sometimes I feel as if I'm being rude, as if I'm ignoring the other people in the room. I have also wondered if I'm being rude on the rare occasions when I couldn't control myself and did interject an unsolicited opinion. While I think it was well taken, I have resolved not to interject again. Other times I felt they were being rude when discussing a wedding and other social engagements to which I'm not invited. If tables were turned, I would have taken the conversation outside the room or asked my friend if we could talk at a later time. I just need some guidance about what to do when a social conversation is happening in our small office space. I don't feel compelled to leave because it's my only workspace and it's happening during work hours. If it's taking place in my office, though, am I automatically considered rude because I'm not a participant? Or am I being polite and not eavesdropping? I'm always a little self-conscious about it. Thanks for the podcast. Now more than ever, I need help navigating the landscape of proper social etiquette. So much has changed. Becky in Tacoma. Becky, thank you for the question. It's not an uncommon one. And um, all the studies about the cost of bad behavior are really interesting. It's, it's oftentimes not the, the very egregious offense that ends up being so difficult to handle in the workplace. Sometimes it's, it's the stuff. minor infractions. It's that yeah. subtle, sensitive gray area where your productivity is impacted and affected, your relationship with your coworkers is affected. But it's not so bad that you feel justified bringing it up as a problem. It is that awkward territory of... 
you want someone to enjoy that conversation and have it, but you don't want it to impact or worry you or make you think about it so much, which clearly it is. And it's finding that way to talk to your coworker about it where it's not going to seem like all of a sudden you're setting up rules that you guys had never talked about, but also not seem like you're not saying anything which is just going to further your own frustration or or difficulty knowing what to do. There are a couple different points of etiquette that are going to come to bear here. And the first one that I think is really the the point of emphasis in your question is the question of um, respecting others' privacy. And I think that the core issue that you've identified here is really important. We we often say that you're going to spend as much time with your coworkers quite possibly as you will with anyone else in your life. You might end up spending more time with them than you spend waking hours with your own family. Because of that, it's really important that you respect each other's privacy. When messages come in in the office and you're hearing about when someone's going through something really difficult and they're having a hard time keeping it from entering the workplace, your ability to be discreet and look the other way and not notice um, those difficult times and to give them space to celebrate when it's time to celebrate a little bit um, is a really important part of your work skills. I don't think it's rude for you to focus on your work and not participate in those conversations, particularly when they're sensitive subject matter. What about, though, when it's not sensitive, when it's just like... That's where I I think that you've got a different point of etiquette that's starting to emerge. And that's the one where I think that your coworker might be crossing the line into that territory where their behavior is really distracting and maybe isn't so considerate of you in your situation. If you're having a hard time focusing on your work, if there is a, a social environment that's making it difficult for you to to even know what to do in the situation, whether it's appropriate for you to work or get up from your work and engage. I think the big idea there is not to necessarily voice your displeasure in the moment that it's going on, but to talk to your coworker about what the standards are that you can both agree on for your shared office space. And so how do you say that? Like so, Jane, yeah. I'd love it if when you your friends stopped by you took it to the kitchen. Uh, that just sounds harsh. I'm trying to practice. Like, and, yeah, no. Um, the priming for the conversation. You know, Jane, there's something that's been going on I want to talk to you about. That sounds so serious. It's a little bit serious. You're talking to somebody about adjusting their behavior. You're okay. asking them to change something they do. This yeah. is probably something Jane likes. People stop by. Yeah, they chat. It's, it's nice. It's casual. Exactly. And for her, it's a good part of her workday. And yeah. you're about to say, hey, Jane, I'd really appreciate it if you could get up and take that conversation outside into the shared space. Mm-hmm. So I think it's worth taking approaching that conversation with a little bit of seriousness if Jane's a peer. Um, maybe you've got a friendly enough relationship with her that you could say to her, boy, you know, these conversations are getting longer and longer. It's harder for me to get my work done. And that's enough. You've got a good enough rapport, enough standing that you can say that kind of thing mm-hmm. to each other. Mm-hmm. And I think that is a, it's a fine line to say – Because I think when you go too serious and the thing is actually a light thing, which asking someone to have a conversation outside of their office is pretty light. It's it's not the heavy body odor question. It's it's not you're not getting your work done and this is a problem. Although it could get into that territory. But that's where it might not be her job to be doing that if she's not this person's supervisor. Yeah. So I think that one of the lighter ways is to say, hey, I realize we never talked about this kind of thing when we first started sharing an office. And for me, I just noticed it's starting to come up that I don't know what to do. I love the language and the tone. So I was thinking that maybe when Chrissy and Kelly and Shana come over, <laughs> it might be better if, if you guys have your conversation like in one of the common areas that we have or maybe just outside the office 
That way, I don't have to worry about should I be engaging, should I not? I'm being distracted. I've got this deadline. Anything. It would be helpful for me. It would be helpful if... for me if that could happen. And we just hadn't talked about it, so I felt a little strange bringing it up. But And back to the initial question, that's really if these conversations are distracting, the heart of the issue, it's not rude at all. In fact, it's polite to just pay attention and send your attention somewhere else yeah. if the, the topic feels a little private yeah. to you. I also am just going to go out on a limb and say – that when someone brings a conversation into your office and you're there. <laughs> Expectations and, and, of privacy well, go no, down. Yeah, I'm just kind of like, I don't uh-huh. think it was bad that you interjected. Well, They're having a conversation around you and you felt compelled. I say, <laughs> you know, y'all chose to have this conversation right next to me. Like, I think that's a, a really yeah, sound Don't feel place. guilty about that interjection you made the other week. Yeah. To wish our questioner well yeah. and say, I think you're in really good shape. Keep keep doing what you're doing. There might be a minor adjustment or two to make, but good luck going forward. We hope that helps. Awesome etiquette gets support from StoryWorth. There are some stories about your mom's life that you truly never get tired of hearing. From hilarious to heartfelt, tear-jerking to plot-twisting, mom's retelling of the events always brings a bit of joy. Just in time for Mother's Day... We here at Awesome Etiquette found the perfect gift that can capture all of your mom's stories for your family forever. It's called StoryWorth. StoryWorth helps you preserve precious memories and stories from your mom or a mother figure in your life for years to come. Here's how it works. Each week, StoryWorth emails your loved one a thought-provoking question that you get to help pick. What was your first job? Who was your first crush? (laughs) StoryWorth makes the writing process a breeze. All your loved one needs to do is to respond to the email prompt with a story. Long or short, it doesn't matter. I did this with my mom and it was really, really rewarding. You'll be emailed a copy of your loved one's responses as they're submitted over the course of the year. You'll get to enjoy their retelling of the stories, some you probably already know, or maybe the ones that you're surprised by you haven't heard before. (laughs) After that year of fun discovery and reminiscing, StoryWorth compiles your loved one's stories and photos into a beautiful keepsake hardcover book that you'll be able to share and revisit for generations to come. You can even keep a copy of the book for yourself. Give all the moms in your life a unique, heartfelt gift that you all will cherish for years. Story Worth. Right now, save $10 on your first purchase when you go to storyworth.com manners. That's storyworth, S-T-O-R-Y-W-O-R-T-H dot com slash manners. It's manners with an S to save $10 on your first purchase. And now back to our show. This next question is about friending friends of friends on Facebook. Um, Friending every friend you meet of a friend. Let's see how many times I can say friend. Dear Lizzie and Dan, I spent the month of September listening to your 50-plus episodes and am just as in love as all listeners that came before me. I have been approaching so many interactions with a new thoughtfulness, and I think it has positively impacted many of my personal and workplace relationships. Oh, that's so nice. Side, 50 plus. <laughs> side note to above and below. I cannot believe this hasn't been addressed, but what are those old movie sound clips from? I absolutely love them. Thanks. Us huh. too. <laughs> you know, our, that's our producer, Hans, who just found them and made them amazing. <laughs> 
two questions. Totally independent, choose your own adventure. I had to include that because Dan is a huge choose your own adventure book fan when he was a kid. And so big elementary school reader. Thank you for taking me back. (laughs) So uh, adventure question number one. I have a dear friend who is a perfect guest when I have her over or invite her to any event I'm hosting. She's on the quiet side, but most everyone who meets her seems to think she's nice and polite. I'm having a silly issue with this friend. After any social engagement I organize, she goes home and faces. Facebook friends nearly everyone she spoke to. As a result, she is Facebook friends with my coworkers, family members of my boyfriends, and in a couple of extreme examples, acquaintances of mine that I'm not even friends with on Facebook. She isn't a huge user of social media, and I don't believe she comments or interacts with them or their posts once she's friends with them. This seems like such a small issue in the grand scheme of her being a wonderfully polite friend. However, it still embarrasses me. I know that these fellow adults could just reject a friend request, but most don't. And she's a harmless individual for them to accept as a friend. Is this worth mentioning? And how should I mention it? Thanks, Anonymous. Oh, Anonymous, this is one of those really subtle questions because you're, you're noticing someone's behavior and it's negatively impacting your impression of them and how they manage themselves in social situations. Not necessarily negatively impacting you. We don't no. know. It's your impression of them that's yeah, being impacted. That's, that's being negatively impacted. I think is a difference. It's interesting. And this is exactly etiquette territory. And it's not hurting you. It's not causing you harm in any way. Um in fact, the, the the spirit with which you might approach her would be one of wanting to help her avoid creating that negative impression with other people. So you think you should approach her? I don't. I don't either. I think it's really hard to talk to someone else about their behavior. These are all grown, consenting adults using social media how like they said, would want they to. Like she said, they can reject. And, 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 and Anonymous here knows that. Yeah. And, and I really appreciate your sense of propriety about talking to someone about something that they're doing that's really up to them. And every once in a while, I think we just have to notice what the people around us are doing, whether we like it or don't, and just say, boy, this world is an interesting place with a lot of interesting people in it. And I think, bear in mind, I don't think that this reflects poorly on you. I think it might be something a couple of friends might say, oh, I was so surprised (laughs) to get a request from Kelly the other day. But how nice. It was lovely meeting her at your party. Be like, yeah, you know, she has a tendency to do that. She's like, quite a Facebooker. A, she's such a Facebook friender. <laughs> but, you know, I don't think that you should feel embarrassed by this. I really don't. We hope that helps. And clearly you're the kind of host that brings people together in all kinds of ways. So keep it up. Our next question is uh, apropos of our postscript last week. It's it a is. brunch question. Dear Dan and Lizzie, I'm writing this on behalf of a group of friends who all listen to your podcast. We love discussing your advice, which has led to some really great conversations. That really just makes me happy, I've got to say. Do we have, like, awesome etiquette nation out there? Do we have that yet? Are we there? That's a bold Are we almost thing. there? Well, we're working on it. I like it. I like that there's a group of them that talk about it. It just makes me really happy. Me too. The question continues. We recently got together for brunch. We had a reservation, but our table was not quite ready when we arrived, so the hostess suggested we wait at the bar. We ordered drinks while we waited, and the hostess kindly made clear that we should close out at the bar before moving to the table. However, many restaurants we've noticed will transfer your bar tab to your table's bill when your table is ready. In that situation, when you are not paying a bill at the bar, should you tip the bartender directly, or should you tip on the drinks when you close the final bill with your server? 
It feels rude not to tip the bartender directly. However, this seems like it would lead to double tipping because it would also feel rude not to tip for that part of the final bill. For brunch, there weren't many people at the bar, so we weren't taking the place of customers who would be there solely for drinks. However, if this were a dinner, our presence at the bar might prevent the bartender from receiving tips from other customers. Is there a difference between brunch and dinner? Also, does the fact that the hostess placed us at the bar instead of choosing to arrive early for a drink make a difference? Thank you both for your wonderful podcast. Warm regards, Becca, Catherine, and Anne. Becca, Catherine, and Anne, I love this question because you've you've asked about eight questions in it because you're thinking through the situation. You are literally doing the five-step process. How is everybody affected? At different times, does it change? Because of this part of the scenario, does it change? I love it. Good I love situational it. awareness. It's, it is. It's great situational awareness. Here's the thing. Um, you don't know how this restaurant operates. Uh, they could pool tips. The servers could tip out the bartender. The bartender might just get their own tips. You just don't know how this works. First off, because the hostess offered to have you sit at the bar while you wait, that's not a reason not to tip. I think personally that the way to handle it is if they're asking you to close out with the bartender, then you tip the bartender there. And that's just that. Any drinks you order further will just be added, you know, from your server's tab and you will just tip on those. If you don't close out the tab, if instead the tab gets transferred to your table, You can do one of two things. Either you can leave the amount that you would have tipped on those drinks in cash at the bar. But if you don't carry cash, like I rarely ever do, then um, you just would tip at the end on the whole amount. And don't worry about how that tip makes it to the bartender. You might inquire. You might say, hey, the bartender was really great when we got our first drinks. Could you please make sure tip goes to him? Or could we leave a separate tip for him somehow or her? But again, if you don't have cash, it gets a little more difficult to do. I think that's a great point. The advice that sometimes comes out of this kind of question is carry a little bit of cash for doing small tips when you're going to be spending a night out, when you anticipate valet service or when you're traveling in particular. Having some cash, having some small bills is a a nice thing to do because it'll open the range of tipping options and, and ways that you can acknowledge good service. I think that's a that's great advice. Is just it, it's helpful to carry a little bit of cash on you just in case there's a coat check person or you want to tip the bartender this way. It makes it, it gives you more options, which is always going to be a little bit easier. Um, moving on to some of their other questions, I think that if it were dinner instead of brunch, I don't think that changes it at all. I think that this is just how it is. It was suggested to you that you wait in the bar area. That doesn't make you any less valid a customer as someone who is going to sit and eat full dinner at the bar. Mm-hmm. I think that you you have to feel good about, I'm here, this is what's been set up for me, and I'm going to engage in it. Mm-hmm. Becca, Catherine, and Anne, we hope that helps. Etiquette champions. We <laughs> hope that you enjoy your next brunch out and that you feel a little um, more secure in knowing exactly what to do. I love this question because it deals with being super considerate. And how how much of that do you take on? <laughs> Hi, Lizzie and Daniel. Great program. I love to cook and bake. Since I was a kid, I have used homemade baked goods as gifts. 
fresh cookies in the middle of a snowstorm to help the plow driver, sourdough bread and jam to help a neighbor, chicken soup for a sick coworker, muffins as a hostess gift, cupcakes to say thanks to professional providers, treats just shared to make everyone smile, and of course, a holiday baking frenzy. I always provide a tag identifying the ingredients, aware that nuts and wheat are real problems for some people. Lately, though, I'm finding that many people's diets are so restrictive, I'm not sure how to proceed. Dairy-free, wheat-free, diabetic, vegan, paleo, no nuts, please. I'm worried I'll offend or that I'm defeating the purpose of the gift if I give someone something they can't eat. It seems rude to ask, so, Dr. Jones, what do you eat? Please help. Sasha, Warren, Vermont. Oh, Sasha, my first thought is I want to be one of your friends. I want to live in your neighborhood, and I definitely want to be around for the holiday baking frenzy. And my second thought is, you know, I might know you. I might be around. I might be around for the holiday baking frenzy. Why the heck haven't I gotten baked goods? Because <laughs> you're writing from Warren, Vermont. And that's that's this, the high school district that I went to school in. So, um, so, so great to get a local question from the Mad River Valley. I think you're doing exactly the right thing here, providing the tag that identifies ingredients, particularly for people who you don't know. But I would not let concerns about other people's dietary restrictions slow down your generosity. I think it's absolutely um, uh, delicious (laughs) that you (laughs) cook things for people and that that's one of the ways that you show your community that you care. So really keep it up. And it's it's really thoughtful that you would include a, a basic recipe card that would tell people what's in it, particularly if you don't know them. It's considerate. There are going to be some close friends and family whose dietary restrictions or food allergies you might get to know. If there's somebody that you're doing this for repeatedly, you could even ask. If there's something they're, they're, they want to share with you without being a prying neighbor right. about someone's diet. Like I'm diet. never going to make my roommate who is gluten-free and, and truly allergic to it. Like I'm not going to make her brownies that aren't gluten-free brownies, you know. It would be thoughtful and considerate to choose the macaroons or whatever it is. Whatever that, it is that she can eat. Yeah. Exactly. But absolutely, with those folks that are in that sort of more peripheral part of your social circle, don't worry about it. Keep doing it. It's so thoughtful that you include that ingredient card. In fact, I'm going to recommend it as really good etiquette advice for anybody else out there that might be listening and wondering about the best way to do this. We hope that helps. Thanks for the question. Our next question is titled, Please Don't Tell My Mother. Just so you know, this might be my favorite question. Dear Lizzie and Dan, I'm a huge fan of your podcast, and you're the only people I can think of who might be able to help me with a big etiquette conundrum. My husband and I were married five years ago in a beautiful ceremony attended by many family and friends. We received a lot of wonderful gifts. Unfortunately, six weeks after the wedding, my grandmother died suddenly and unexpectedly during routine surgery. Shortly after that, my husband lost three relatives in a plane crash. That time is a bit of a blur for both of us. Recently, I was using my wedding spreadsheet to look up someone's mailing address, and long story short, I discovered that we somehow missed sending thank you notes to about 30 of our guests. Dan and Lizzie, I am freaking out. I have no idea how this happened. I was raised in a household where etiquette was a big deal and was never, never allowed to miss a thank you note. I would never let this happen in my right mind. Nobody has mentioned this to us even once over the last five years. I hear stories all the time of people who are resentful for years that they never received a thank you note, but I never dreamed I'd be the source of that. I'm so grateful to these people, and I want to make it right, but maybe they've forgotten or they understood because of our circumstances. What do I do? Signed, please don't tell my mother. Oh, please don't tell my mother. Your secret is safe with us. But I will say, go ahead and send the notes. 
That's the best advice I can give you is send them. And you don't even have to tell the whole story of it was complicated. Just say, I was going through our wedding planning books and I realized I hadn't sent you a thank you note. I am mortified or I am whatever word you choose to use. And just say, I really want to thank you for the wonderful X, Y, Z. We used it or we are using it or it's a part of our everyday. And I am just so grateful for it. Thank you so much. And we really hope to see you at Christmas, over the summer, hear from you soon, something like that. And then just sign your name. I think it would be one of those wonderful things that people would be like, I never even thought about it. But thank you so much. That was so nice to receive that. I bet. My guess would be 29, 28, 29 of those people, maybe 30 of those people have exactly that reaction. Oh, I can't believe it. This never even occurred to me. How sweet. Exactly. There might be one or two who were bothered. Really? You're going to worry her about that? I'm just going to say getting that thank you card might really um, make the difference. Make a difference. Yeah. And I, I don't think it's a wasted effort at all. No. So have faith. You're going to do the right thing. Write the note. It's okay that it's five years late. What do we always say, Dan? ASAP and it's never too late. You hear that? She says you're not as rude as you used to be. What do you know? Thanks to everyone for sending in your questions. And remember, we love updates. If we answered your question on the show, or if you have a comment about one of our questions, feel free to send it in. You can also submit your question to awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com. Leave a message for us on our answering machine at 802-866-0860, or send it in via Facebook or Twitter. Just use the hashtag awesomeetiquette so we know you want it on the show. postscript segment today my politically savvy cousin daniel is going to talk (laughs) about the politeness of talking politics which i think is pretty apropos for this time of year yeah no with the change in the air the fall weather maybe the the approaching um even me i'm reading articles about what's going on with the debate we're we're entering the the one year out from our next presidential election which means we're looking at a year of presidential politics and campaigning and um, increased interest and participation in the democratic process then it's kind of an exciting time for those of us that like politics it happens every four years and it's also an exciting time for our country because it's important it's a an important part of of all of our lives that we live in a democracy and our participation I was uh, raised thinking as part of our civic duty. <laughs> I'm sorry. Are you suggesting that maybe I wasn't raised that way? No. I, I'm just <laughs> I'm saying just that I, I know that when we talk politics, lots of people have lots of very different opinions. And they I think do. it's really important to acknowledge and respect that. And for, for, me, for me, someone who really cares about a lot of this stuff, I think it's it's really important to remember that everyone doesn't well, <laughs> necessarily. But also to remember that that as much as you care about it from your perspective – to remember that even though you don't agree with the perspective of the other person, that they might feel just as strongly about the opposite point or the opposite solution. And how do you navigate that, Dan? Because that can get so personal and so heated and so upsetting when someone that you might love and respect has this way of thinking that is driving you up the wall. Yeah. Sometimes it's someone's disengagement. Sometimes it's their engagement on the exact polar opposite side of an issue that is something that you feel strongly and passionately about. And as you point out so 
aptly, oftentimes the feelings on the other side of that issue are just as strong. And it's one of the reasons that we say talking politics is um, potentially difficult territory and that these conversations should be approached with care. It's definitely in that tier two of conversation right there with religion and your love life where you want to be careful in how you talk about it, particularly in really public places and spheres. At the same time, we can't say just ignore these topics. Right. We can't say avoid them completely because as I started off by saying, it's an important part of our, our functioning society that we're able to talk about these things. And these are things that are important to all of us. So, so what are kind of the steps that you would go through? Because obviously you're going to kind of test the waters Feel out the conversation, and then you might get into trouble. So, what do you what yeah. do you kind of do as we venture into conversations about politics? As is always the case, the principles of etiquette are going to be your guide. You can always go back to consideration, respect, and honesty. These are your un, unfailing, unwavering. You, you can always depend on them. Goalposts and points of reference and consideration. Thinking about all the people who are involved. Thinking about the people who might be impacted. So if you're talking about your Facebook page, you're talking about uh, a very large circle of people that Inviting might be influenced circle, or yeah. um, impacted by your particular point of view and you want to proceed accordingly. Uh, you want to think about even if it's your brother and you're only talking one-on-one, -on -one, is it the most important relationship in in your life? And is this really the conversation that you want to have defining that relationship right now? What kind of weight are you giving it? Whatever the circumstance or situation is, respect, that you show respect for the people that you're talking with. And that means that if you're willing to share, you also need to be willing to listen. If you want to express your opinions, you, you I'm going to say it's a, a part of the price of admission that you're willing to listen to other people's opinions also. And in terms of um, building common ground, I think this is one of the most effective things that you can do when you're having a political discussion. I tell people that it's very rare you're going to introduce some new fact or point of view that's going to sway somebody. You, you might do it. You might have that particular um, perspective on an issue that once shared is really uh, crystallizing in terms of how it brings someone – um, into focus in terms of how they see an issue. At the same time, I think it's much more likely that your willingness to listen, your willingness to engage someone and acknowledge the validity of their opinion and their perspective is going to start to help to build the bridge that allows them to see that maybe you would have a perspective that they could respect and that they could consider. So what um, do you do if it starts getting, let's say you're doing all those things, but yeah. the other person isn't? Another Awkward, sort of right? price of admission for this kind of discussion, it's a good question, is your willingness to back off. Yeah. That um, it's hard to argue with someone who's not arguing back. And if you're really willing to respect someone's opinion and acknowledge that you can see that's where they're coming from and you acknowledge the validity of that opinion or if not the correctness of it, their right to have it. <laughs> I feel like sometimes it's a good idea when you, when you get into these subjects and you don't know who you're talking to or you don't know what opinion is going to come up. To brace yourself for the idea that it might be a more enjoyable evening or time or, you know, interaction if you just simply let them be the big voice. Can you do that? Could you – could I – it's mm -hmm. kind of like price of admission. For me, mm -hmm. that idea is a thought of can I have this conversation and let someone else be the one who's heard? Yeah. And because I, I, I might not have a choice as to whether or not they're going to let me be heard. I think that's true. And your ability to do that isn't dependent on their ability to do it back. <laughs> and really well said. I want to remind um, remind folks that it's not that you shouldn't have the opinion or you shouldn't share the opinion. And it's not that you're trying to convert the people around you or come out 
on top of that conversation in front of other people. It's more so this is the etiquette of it. This is the social interaction that you are experiencing with someone else. And my question always goes, it's like the bigger picture. The conversation, the actual detail points of the conversation is the little picture. The bigger picture is, did we have a good time tonight? Did we have a good time this afternoon? How can I make that happen? Do we still respect each other? Yeah. And that might be, and that's why I don't necessarily think when I say let the other person be the big voice, it's not because you want them to win or because you think their point is valid and that's what should be hanging out in the air last. It's just that that might be what allows you to move on to a different conversation that can allow the interaction to be one that's more positive, less charged with opposition. I'll tell you, something that you just said reminds me of something I often tell myself. Even when the particular issue or candidate or party, whatever it is you're talking about, is is important. And I, the thing I say to myself, well, is it really life and death? Right. Sometimes it is. Sometimes the issue that you're talking about is an issue that affects the substance of people's lives. And that can feel so important. That can really drive um, passions and commitment to a certain perspective. Is that conversation that you're having life and death? The issue, Big difference between the, the two. The issue itself <laughs> might be, but are, is the conversation that you're having that evening, that morning, that day at the water cooler going to resolve that issue? Is it – it might sway the debate slightly. It might tick it on a meter just a little bit. But don't overestimate the importance of a particular conversation just because the topic that you're discussing is so important. And I, and I really like the perspective that, that you bring to this that where you're talking about the substance of the issue versus the etiquette of the situation that you're discussing it in. I hope this is the beginning of a year-long discussion that everyone finds fruitful in some way and that we're all just a little bit more politically polite by approaching these conversations with some consideration, respect, and honesty. I love our etiquette salute because not only is is it a wonderful situation that gets uh, expressed, but I also really think that it's great because it's from New Orleans. <laughs> Going in a week and a half. I know. I, th- I thought it was appropriate. All right. Dear Lizzie and Dan, your show is such a refreshing escape from the frenzy of daily life to a world of civility and grace. My husband introduced me to your podcast not long ago, and we both enjoy listening to your advice and anecdotes. Living in South Louisiana, where people go out of their way to hold a door open for a stranger and bend over backwards to welcome you into their home, I could probably write an etiquette salute every day, but one of my husband's recent acts of kindness inspired me to submit this. He is a special education teacher at a middle school and stays busy all day working with students with behavior disorders. At the beginning of the school year, he saw a student from another class in the hallway with her teacher. Both the student and the teacher looked miserably distraught. He stopped what he was doing to see what the problem was. It turns out that the student had recently moved to Louisiana from Japan with her family. She did not speak any English, and not surprisingly, her teacher did not speak Japanese. The school district had arranged for a translator to work with the girl, but the translator covers many schools and had not yet met with this student. My husband did not know much Japanese beyond konnichiwa and sayonara, but he felt he needed to do something to help the girl who was in tears. 
He downloaded the Google Translator app on his phone and was able to use it to ask the girl her name. With the help of modern technology, they were able to have a short conversation. By the end of it, the girl was smiling and laughing. My husband showed the teacher how to use the app so that she and the student could at least communicate basic needs. I can only imagine the anxiety this young girl felt being in a foreign place without understanding anything anyone said or being understood. My husband has his hands full with his own group of students, but he didn't let that stop him from helping this distressed student. He has gone back to check on her every day to teach her some common English words and phrases and to make her feel welcome at her new school. When it comes to etiquette, I am diligent with my thank you notes and table manners, but my husband constantly shows me, as you both espouse, that what is most important is putting the people around you at ease. Thank you for letting me share this salute and for your entertaining show. Kindest regards, Emily in New Orleans. Emily, thank you so much for that salute. It was such a positive and heartwarming example of how to make others feel comfortable in an extremely uncomfortable situation. Well, uh, wasn't that better? Look at the effect of a little politeness. That's our show for today. As always, thank you for listening and spending some of your day with us. We hope you have a wonderful rest of your week. And don't forget, there's no show without you. So send us your questions, your etiquette salutes, and your suggestions to awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com. If you like what you hear, don't be shy. Tweet it, Facebook post it, and of course, you can subscribe on iTunes and leave us a review. On Facebook, we are Awesome Etiquette and the Emily Post Institute. On Twitter, I'm at Daniel underscore Post. And I'm at Lizzie A. Post. Or you can visit our website, emilypost.com. Our theme music was composed and performed by Bob Wagner, and our show is produced by Hans Buto. 